Now it's time for the Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle Tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. With your host, that would be me, Dave. I'm at the host pavilion at Epcot, the American Adventure. And I thought I'd take some time to wander around, tell some stories, and talk about the American Adventure Pavilion. Well, as you may have noticed, I took a little break from podcasting and went on a vacation. I know, unusual, right? I live near Orlando, and I can go to the parks anytime, but my vacations go other places. On this trip, I visited our nation's capital, and I enjoyed brushing up on American history and kind of getting into the spirit of what the nation's capital is all about. Now, that brief bit of inspiration, coupled with my recent President's podcast, made me realize I hadn't given due to Epcot's host nation, the American Adventure Pavilion. So I'm going to correct that today, and I'm going to talk about the American Adventure at Epcot. Now, as always, we'll break this up, and I'll give you an overview, talk about the buildings, designs, and architecture, then move on to talk about the grounds, outdoor gardens, and displays. I'll then head inside and talk about all of the inside displays and shopping. Afterward, I'll tell you about the entertainment that you'll find, characters and kid stuff, and I'll end with dining options and drinking around the world. And finally, I'll give you some details on what either was planned for the pavilion or is planned for the future. Now, if you want to hear more about the other World Showcase pavilions, be sure and check out my show notes page. I have covered so far Mexico, Canada, China, Germany, and Japan, and this makes the sixth one in the series. Now, the American Adventure is the most obvious country to include among the World Showcase of Nations. It represents the United States and its history, and has the most prominent location directly in the middle of the loop across from the entrance from Future World. So it's the first thing you see when crossing into World Showcase. At opening, the pavilion had two sponsors that signed on to help with construction costs. Both Coca-Cola and American Express contributed to the build effort and became title sponsors. American Express was the card of Disney World for many years, and Coca-Cola is still the drink offered throughout the resort. Now, given Walt Disney's passion for American history, there was never any doubt at all that this would be an opening day pavilion. But there's a little bit of a backstory I wanted to tell you here. When the decision was made to turn Walt Disney's city of Epcot into the theme park known as Epcot Center, World Showcase was going to be the main park component. Plans for the showcase had all the pavilions located within one semicircular building, but when plans changed to put World Showcase around a lagoon, Imagineers did not even place the United States with the other pavilions. The intent was to make it a two-story structure on stilts between the World Showcase and Future World. The attraction would be housed in the second story, and the first story would be used as a sort of tunneled gateway to World Showcase. But somewhere along the way, they decided to change the idea and move the United States Pavilion not only into World Showcase, but also into the centermost position across the lagoon, so the American Adventure would play host to all the countries that surround it. Part of the rationale here had to do with the fact that you want to make the American Adventure a prominent pavilion among World Showcase, but you don't want to make it so in your face that you have to walk through the American Adventure to see all these other nations. So the decision to put it back and set it on the other side of the lagoon was actually pretty smart because it still showcases the American Adventure right across the lagoon, so it's the first one you see, but it downplays the American exceptionalism that we think of as, as the United States. And that's also why it was called the American Adventure and not the United States Pavilion. So unlike many other pavilions in the World Showcase, the American Pavilion was not designed with the goal of making people feel like they were visiting America. Because obviously you've just left America to come into Epcot, so it kind of didn't make sense to, to make it feel that way. Instead, Imagineers wanted to focus on the fact that America was the host of World Showcase while also showcasing the country's history. With this goal in mind, the pavilion was named the American Adventure as opposed to something along the lines of the United States of America Pavilion. Once it was decided that it was going to be put into World Showcase, it was centrally located, and you may notice that it's at a slightly higher elevation than the surrounding pavilions. 
That is to say, they graded the ground so that it sits a few feet above sea level, where the others started about sea level. Now, the other interesting feature about the American Adventure and World Showcase is that like many buildings around World Showcase, forced perspective is used here. But it's used in reverse from what you normally think of. Typically, the Imagineers use it to make a building appear to be taller than it actually is. For the American Adventure, they wanted to make it look smaller. The actual building that you see is a five-story building, but they made it look like it's about two and a half stories tall because that would have been more typical in a colonial-style building. Now, there were two reasons that they did this. By making it bigger, its prominence as the host pavilion is noticeable from a distance, so you actually see it from across the World Showcase Lagoon. If it were a two-story building, it wouldn't have that same significance. You might not see it as easily. But the more important second reason is that they needed to be able to house the equipment that runs the show inside the pavilion. Now I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but just kind of keep that in mind. Now in some ways, the American Adventure is kind of strange. It's set far back on its plot, doesn't have many interesting features that really grab you, and it's kind of one large amorphous blob of a single building that goes across. That's not to say it's not interesting in its own way. It simply means that it's not as compelling as some of the other pavilions. There's no real weenie, nothing to bring people into the building directly. That lone building is designed in a colonial style. The pavilion's edifice portrays America's mansion. Pulling architectural elements from Independence Hall, Boston's Old State House, Monticello, and Colonial Williamsburg, it's built in the English-Georgian style, which was prevalent during the 18th century reign of Kings George I through George IV, and because the Americas were under British rule, it was also common in the colonies. It's characterized by Greek revivalist porticos, stone-coined corners, that's where the stonework has sort of that back-and-forth look on the corner, rather than being all in a line. It also has a clock and bell tower. Now in all, there are 110,000 bricks that are on the facade of the building, and they are handmade from Georgia clay and were tinted and aged to add authenticity. Now you may notice the clock tower has something unusual. It has four I's in the four spot instead of the typical IV you'd think of in the sense of Roman numerals. Now there are a lot of possible explanations for this, and nothing seems quite like the right answer. The simple truth is that both styles with the four I's and the IV were acceptable, so it really was a matter of the clockmaker making a choice. Now, if you want to know more about this whole history and what people think, I'm going to put a link to a web page that has the four I's versus IV sort of discussion out there, and you can read all about it. There's a lot of interesting backstory here and a lot of thoughts, and you can read all the different theories on what's going on there. But it's kind of an interesting little side note, because in the Americas, typically, you would use four I's instead of the IV. Why? Because of the clockmakers that were here. Now, another thing to notice about the American Adventure Pavilion is that the Imagineers had a little whimsy when designing the color scheme. They evoked the three colors of the United States, red, white, and blue, if you look at the facade. Be sure and notice that the bricks are red, the trim on the building, including the coin corners, are white, and the fountain that stands in the front has blue tiles in it, so you get the red, white, and blue as you look at the pavilion. Now, there are three parts to this building. To the right as you face it is the merchandise shop, and to the left is quick service dining. In the middle is the show building. As you enter the doors, you go through a rotunda. Now, this is meant to evoke a sense of the U.S. Capitol building with its highly recognizable rotunda. In Disney's version, the floors are marble with 50 stars appearing around the floor. The accents are done in brass. And again, this is based on historical locations in colonial towns and to some extent the Capitol in Washington, D.C. The main rotunda is about 35 feet high, and it features 12 large columns around the outside. Incidentally, the rotunda can be used as a reception area for Disney weddings. And it's something when it's made up like that. It really does have a certain beauty to it, and that would be a good place to have a wedding, I would think. Outside the main building, there are a couple of smaller buildings that sell food items and a few souvenirs. Across from the main building and sitting on the lagoon is the America Gardens Theater. This is an outdoor venue that's used to host entertainment acts. The Flower and Power Concert Series, the Sounds Like Summer Concert Series, Eat to the Beat, and the Candlelight Processional, among many others. And sometimes it's used for other things as well, like the touring acts or the Voices of Liberty performing to a larger crowd. Now, many entertainment acts from around the world perform on this stage. As I told you in my previous podcast, in 1983, Reagan did his second dedication of Epcot there. And in 1988, Elder Bush did his first Points of Light presentation in that theater. In 1999 and 2000, a revised version of Michael Flatley's Lord of the Dance was performed in the theater. 
Originally, this was designed as a totally open-air theater. Over the years, a partial cover, a backstage dressing room, and show equipment areas have been added during refurbishments, and it just makes it that much more interesting and more complete that it becomes sort of this venue that you have that goes on and kind of fits in with the thematic part of being the host nation. Now, in a future podcast, I'll talk more about the Candlelight Processional. Just for now, just kind of keep in mind that it's a yearly event that they have that goes on that actually is about the Christmas theme and being in the more religious aspects of Christmas. And they have narrators and a full orchestra. And it's actually a beautiful show that they do. And uh, people really enjoy it and enjoy getting tickets for it. So I'll talk more about that another time, but just kind of keep that in mind that this is the venue that's used for the Candlelight Processional. Now, behind the America Gardens Theater, and it's partially obscured from view, is a single-masted Victorian 50-foot ship called the Golden Dream. Now, I've heard people say that it appears to be a vessel like the Pilgrims might have used, but I have to say at 50 feet, it's, it's really too small to be a long-distance ocean vessel. Instead, it represents the Virginia sloops that were used during the Revolutionary War for trading with islands off the coast of Virginia. Kind of an interesting little side note, and the fact that they have one that's a replica, but that it's in the World Showcase Lagoon is really evocative of the Revolutionary War in some way about the grounds and gardens of the American Adventure. Now, they're really not that extensive. Most of the flowers and trees are along the buffer between America and its neighbors, Japan and Italy. But there are some planting beds in the main courtyard in the front of the rotunda. These are often filled with flowering plants that are red, white, and blue, kind of further evoking the, the nature of the American Adventure. As far as shopping, surprisingly, there's almost no shopping in the American Adventure. Wait, they missed out on a chance to merchandise? Say it isn't so. The main shop is called the Heritage Manor Gifts, and it's a slice of Americana for sale, along with um, Coca-Cola products, and, well, since that's like hot dogs and apple pie, it kind of makes sense, right? So if you go inside the building and you go through the rotunda, you can actually see that there's some areas around it as well. There's a sort of museum in there, and it's a tribute to American history. The walls themselves contain quotes from famous Americans. Let me read a few of those to you. Ayn Rand said, throughout the centuries, there were men who took first steps down the new roads, armed with nothing but their own vision. Charles Lindbergh said, what kind of man would live where there is no daring? I don't believe in taking foolish chances, but nothing can be accomplished without taking any chance at all. A man you may have heard of named Walt Disney said, our greatest natural resource is the minds of our children. Jane Addams, what, after all, has maintained the human race on this old globe despite the, all the calamities of nature and all the tragic failings of mankind, if not faith in the new possibilities and the courage to advocate them? Althea Gibson said, No matter what accomplishments you make, somebody helps you. Wendell Wilkie said, Our way of living together in America is a strong but delicate fabric. It's made up of many threads. It has been woven over many centuries by the patience and sacrifice of countless liberty-loving men and women. And of course, there are others throughout the exhibits and around the rotunda, but that gives you a flavor for the kinds of things that are present in the rotunda. And the vision that the Imagineers are trying to present to you is why America is strong, what makes the American adventure interesting, because it is called the American adventure after all. The paintings that are on display are a lesson for the future, a teacher giving a lesson to her students outside while men in the background build a schoolhouse. Building a future together, which is construction workers building a skyscraper. Compassion knows no boundary, a doctor and nurse treating sick people in another country. Defending freedom, a factory making planes for the battlefields of World War II. Election day, townspeople gathered together to hear the election results. Giving thanks, a family praying at the dinner table for their Thanksgiving meal. Promise of America, immigrants coming to America to see the Statue of Liberty. Reaching for the Stars, a depiction of the many things happening at NASA's space program. Seeds of Hope, a Native American teaching the Plymouth Pilgrims how to plant corn. Staying the Course, two sailing ships out at sea. Westward Ho, several wagons crossing over a river, possibly the Mississippi. Now there's also a museum off to the right, and it's known as the American Heritage Gallery. Formally, it has another title. It's Rediscovering America, Family Treasures from the Kinsey Collection, which draws from an extensive collection of rare art, documents, books, and artifacts amassed by philanthropists Bernard and Shirley Kinsey. Their private collection has been displayed throughout the United States, including in the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. Approximately 40 pieces will be on display at any given time on a rotating basis while the exhibit is at Epcot. Currently, at the time of this recording, it's a collection of African-American artifacts and art. 
Take a Journey Through Time at an art exhibit that represents 400 years of African-American achievement. The American Adventure show is actually behind the rotunda. To get to the show, you take the stairs or escalator up to what amounts to the fifth floor, though you don't realize it when you're taking the escalator up. If you can't take the escalator for some reason and the stairs don't work for you, there is a hidden elevator that's kind of behind a mural to your left as you're going up. Now, as you head up the escalator, a display of different flags throughout U.S. history called the Hall of Flags hang above your head. There are a total of 44 flags here in the hall. Well, wait a minute, make that currently 43 flags. Disney chose to remove a Confederate flag as part of the ongoing politically charged discussion about Confederate flags. Now, look, I don't mean to weigh into the political discussion here, but the one represented here in the Hall of Flags was really not the same one that was removed elsewhere. And I'll agree that it may be offensive to some people. It's still a piece of history and perhaps belongs in a display of historical flags. But whatever the case, Disney decided to steer clear of it and made a decision to take it out. The remaining flags are Revolutionary War flags, colonial flags, and foreign flags that once had claim to the land. They're all flags that have flown over the United States of America, or the land it now occupies, at some point or another over the past 500 years, from the Spanish Bourbon flag adopted in 1513 to the 50-star flag that currently flies over the U.S. and has since 1960. The question for you is, how many of these flags do you recognize? In the upstairs lobby, there are the remaining two paintings of American life. You can also look out into the rotunda from here, and it's a great place to watch the Voices of Liberty. When the doors open and you enter the theater, take note of the 12 statues, six on each side of the theater. These are the spirits of American values personified. The statues are the spirit of adventure, which is personified by a seaman, compassion, which is shown by a lady doctor, discovery, which is a mountain man, freedom, the pilgrim, heritage, a Native American woman, possibly Sacagawea, though it's a little vague, independence, which is the American Revolutionary War soldier, individualism, which is a cowboy, innovation, an African-American scientist, possibly George Washington Carver, knowledge, is a school teacher, pioneering is the early aviation pilot, probably Charles Lindbergh, self-reliance, a farmer, and tomorrow, a mother and child. Now, as far as entertainment goes at the pavilion, one of the big attractions in the American Adventure is the Voices of Liberty, an eight-person a cappella group that performs traditional American songs, patriotic songs, and some more current favorites. I used a number of clips in my most recent podcasts about presidents. If you'd like to hear more of the Voices of Liberty, I suggest you go back and listen to that podcast. Now, most often you can find the Voices of Liberty performing in the rotunda as sort of a pre-show to the American adventure. They perform six to eight times a day on a fairly regular basis. Occasionally, you'll find them in other places, like out at the America Gardens Theater, and sometimes they'll be replaced by another group for a particular day. But to be perfectly honest, the American Adventure multimedia show that tells the story of America, that's the showpiece of this pavilion. 
Now, I've heard people from other countries say it's a little self-aggrandizing and it's maybe a little heavy-handed, and I see their point, but it really is a well-done show and worth seeing. Think of it as kind of the Hall of Presidents 2.0, with some Carousel of Progress elements thrown in for good measure. I actually think Walt would have been proud of what was created here because it extended what he was thinking about American influence and creating something like the Hall of Presidents and something like the Carousel of Progress that really tells the story of American history. The American Adventure takes guests on a trip through America's history. It's narrated by audio-animatronic figures of Benjamin Franklin and Mark Twain, who lived almost 100 years apart, with the voices of Dallas McKinnon as Franklin and John Anderson as Mark Twain. The show is presented in a theater-like auditorium with sets and characters rising out from the stage floor to represent scenes from different historical periods. The characters provide insight into American life of the past through conversations in which they discuss the current events of that time. Periods include the American Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the Centennial International Exhibit of 1876, representing American industrialization, and the Great Depression. The presentation culminates with a musical film montage representing famous moments and people in American history from post-World War II to the present. Original plans for the attraction called for three hosts, one representing each century during which the United States has existed. Franklin was chosen to represent the 18th century, Twain for the 19th century, and after suggesting possible figures such as Will Rogers or Walter Cronkite, it was decided that guests were too familiar with the 20th century to easily be represented by one person. It was decided to execute the show with only two hosts in that case. There are a total of 35 figures that are used during the show. They include, in order of appearance, Benjamin Franklin, who has three different figures, Mark Twain, who has three different figures, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Washington's horse, two soldiers in Valley Forge, Frederick Douglass, a Civil War-era family consisting of a father, mother, baby, daughter, and two brothers, Mr. Brady, he was a Civil War-era photographer, Chief Joseph, Alexander Graham Bell, Andrew Carnegie, Susan B. Anthony, Theodore Roosevelt, John Muir, four men and a dog in the 1929 gas station scene, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Will Rogers, Rosie the Riveter, and two battleship crew members, one male and one female. In one scene, there's a neat trick, and people wonder if Benjamin Franklin really walks up the stairs into Thomas Jefferson's study, because he sure looks like he does. The audio-animatronic figure is actually incrementally lifted into place one step at a time. Placed next to a stairway railing, this gives the illusion of a man walking up a flight of stairs. It really is quite compelling. Now remember earlier I mentioned that it was a five-story building and I'd talk about the reasons why it needed to be that big? It has everything to do with the show itself. Most of the building itself is fairly hollow. There are so many figures and changes in the show that Disney uses something called the War Wagon, a movable device under the theater, is enormous. Now this thing is a behemoth. It measures 65 by 35 feet by 14 feet and weighs 175 tons. Ten different sets are stored on the device and then move forward or backward when needed. There's a drawer that moves into place and the appropriate set pieces rise up from below the stage. Now, in the, that would be in the center. There are seven more lifts along the sides and above that really allow the set to change continually. And that's why this is so much like the Carousel of Progress, because they're moving the set around and continually changing what you're seeing. It's all computer controlled and essentially the war wagon is the reason they had to make the five-story building. In 1993, the attraction was updated with all new animatronics and a new version of the theme song. In mid-2007, about 45 seconds of footage were added to the end of the Golden Dreams montage, the first update of the montage since the 1993 renovation. The most notable addition is the brief footage of the New York City police and fire departments, the rescue crews after the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center in 2001. The musical score is vast. And it includes a number of different songs, including New World Bound, lyrics by F. Atencio and Randy Bright, and music by Buddy Baker. In the Days of 76, that's an original historic piece. Two Brothers, lyrics and music by Irving Gordon, and vocals by Ali Olmo. Brother, Can You Spare a Dime, lyrics by E.Y. Harburg, music by Jay Gorney. I'll Be Home for Christmas, featuring Bing Crosby. Golden Dreams, lyrics by Randy Bright, with additional lyrics by Lynn Hart, music by Robert Moline. Vocals by Richard Page and Sidé Garrett. The kind of cover out with the Golden Dream montage has in it, it includes Neil Armstrong, Leonard Bernstein, Johnny Carson, Walt Disney, 
Bob Dylan, Albert Einstein, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Judy Garland, Chief Dan George, Alex Haley, Jim Henson, Bob Hope, Magic Johnson, John F. Kennedy, Billie Jean King, Mary Martin, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, Mary Lou Retton, Sally Ride, Jackie Robinson, Eleanor Roosevelt, Frank Sinatra, Gloria Steinem, Ryan Wolfe, and Frank Lloyd Wright, among many others. It really does cover that period of time from World War II until today. The theater itself has 1,024 seats. The room is bathed in red, white, and blue lights before the show starts. And once the story reaches the time period of the camera, the Imagineers felt it was proper to continue the film to tell more of the history rather than having more audio animatronics come up. In fact, the screen itself is pretty impressive as it's the largest rear projection screen in existence. Rear projection means the projector is actually behind the screen rather than behind you sitting in the theater. A, a typical type of projector would be up behind you, sitting behind your head, and pointing down to the screen. In this case, they're behind the screen, pointing at it. The show lasts 28 minutes, and it's amazing, and I'll play it for you in its entirety at the end of this podcast. But a couple of fun facts for you. The audio animatronic figures have wigs made of real human hair. The furniture in some of the scenes are antiques from their respective time periods. In the 1930s gas station scene, the two signs over the gas station are promoting Coca-Cola and American Express. As I told you, they were the big sponsors. The rear projection screen is 28 feet high and 155 feet long. The rear projection movie required the longest single loop of film ever employed for a Disney show. The film, some 3,330 feet long, snakes up and down through rollers in seven specially designed storage cabinets. This show marks the first time audio-animatronic characters were equipped with individual voices and speakers. In the past, narrations had been played over the theater speaker system, but here they're actually being played inside the audio-animatronic characters so that you actually feel like you're watching the person speaking. Turning to drinking around the world for a moment, some people enjoy a sampling of adult beverages from the countries around World Showcase. At the American Adventure, you can find a beer or a hard soda at the Fife and Drum, a kiosk on the promenade. And that's really it. That's the only alcohol that's offered in the American Adventure. As far as restaurants, since America isn't known for its own unique culinary experiences, it's an amalgamation of many different cultures, the Imagineers opted to make the lone dining option a quick-service restaurant that focuses on American traditional fare, and they call it the Liberty Inn. It serves hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken nuggets, and, of course, apple pie. There are two kiosks outside. One serves funnel cakes, and the other serves turkey legs. Of course, there is a Kidcot station that's located within the merchandise shop. And there aren't any regular character meet-and-greets anywhere within the American Adventure Pavilion. Occasionally, you will see some American-themed characters, Goofy, Mickey, and so dressed up in patriotic attire, but there aren't any regular meet-and-greets with any characters at the pavilion. Now, as far as what nearly was. In this case, we'll look back at something that, that was around starting on opening day, but ended relatively recently. The Spirit of America Fife and Drum Corps was retired at the end of September 2014. The small troop of players were, as the name implies, Drummers and fife players, they performed patriotic songs and songs of the colonial era and told stories of colonial times. Now, there is one other story about the American adventure that warrants a little more discussion. Like most things in Epcot, time constraints made things difficult to get the American adventure done. The final film sequence you see in the attraction was one such example. Mark Eads, one of the show designers, tells a story that basically reads, There was a theme for the sequence, Dreamers and Doers from the End of World War II Through Modern Times. There was the song, written by Randy Bright and Bob Moline. It had even been recorded and was ready to go. But what no one seemed to know was what the film should look like. And the park built on Walt Disney's dream was just six months out from opening day. Several filmmakers were working hard on concepts for it, including Jack Boyd, one of Disney's animation effects animators, who was also producing the Theater One film for Universe of Energy. Boyd developed an abstract animated approach to all the dreamers and doers, complete with an animated eagle flying through the various shots. Rolf Darbo who had produced the live-action shoot of the World War I Eddie Rittenbacher shootout and the Two Brothers sequence was working on a different still photo version. There was also an edited montage version of various pieces of film and photos, a straightforward approach, but none of them were working. Mark was asked to set up a screening on Stage 2 on the Walt Disney Productions lot where post-production for Epcot Center's films was headquartered. The stage had been transformed into the world's largest screening room. The screening included all the various versions of the film. Rick Rothschild, creative director of the American Adventure, flew back from Florida where he was supervising the installation and testing and programming of the audio-animatronics-driven show, along with several other pavilions. Randy Bright was there, too, as well as Don Henderson, the manager of WED Film Productions at the time, along with many of the others involved in the Epcot Center films. First the song was played, then all the footage from various efforts was shown. 
Lots of discussion followed among the approximately 30 people there. Finally, Don Henderson spoke up and said, let's ask Rick what he thinks it should look like. So everyone turned to Rick, who at the time looked a lot like a young Mark Twain, mustache and all, and he thought for a moment and said these immortal words, I think it should be an ethereal, dreamlike reality with a soft, hard-edged mat. Stunned silence, then a unanimous, huh? Bryce Mack, a former story man for Walt Disney's short unit, finally spoke up and said, I think I know what to do. Bryce was one of the unsung heroes of Disney and was good at figuring things out. Don asked him what his idea was, to which Bryce replied, I need to just go and do it and show it to you. Give me three weeks. Randy and Don looked at each other, gave Bryce the okay, and off he went, production number in hand. Two weeks later, Bryce asked Mark to set up a projection mock-up with three 35mm film projectors, all to be synced to the sound playback system. Mark worked with the projection engineer, Walt Seifert, to figure it out. Bryce came over with three reels of film and the soundtrack for a private test screening with just him, the three projectionists, and myself. On one reel was a series of shots flying through the clouds. On the other two reels were alternating shots of moving images, yes, dreamers and doers, that looked like they were magically floating across the clouds. There were also lots of editorial grease pencil marks and indicating dissolves, but it was, according to Mark, magical. The next day it was shown to Randy, Don, and everyone else, and enthusiastically, it was approved. It would take another six weeks to get the finished film through the special photo effects department, but we finally had a winner. The nightmare was now the polished dream that Randy had envisioned while developing and writing the show. And that's the story of the American adventure. Now let's go on and listen to the audio track from the show. America did not exist. Four centuries of work, bloodshed, loneliness, and fear created this land. We built America, and the process made us Americans. A new breed, rooted in all races, stained and tinted with all colors, a seeming ethnic anarchy. Then, in a little time, we became more alike than we were different. New society. Not great, but fitted by our very faults for greatness. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Twain. What's that? Perhaps you recognize those inspiring words from one of America's great writers. Uh, no, Dr. Franklin, I don't recall writing anything like that. Oh, my, of course not. They're from the pen of John Steinbeck, here in the 20th century. Why, it seems he has nearly the same spirit as the founding fathers themselves. Well, listen to the proud elder statesman. Mr. Twain, pride is one of our national passions. Even those who overcome it are proud of their humility. Easy now. I was born modest. Fortunately... Wore off. Uh, Dr. Franklin is our genuine American antique. I suppose our story begins with you. Actually, it started long before even my time. It started when dreams and visions of a new world were shrouded in the myths and legends of an old world. Finally, through those early mists of uncertainty, sailed the first great adventurers. This tiny ship is the Mayflower, carrying pilgrims in search of their dream, a dream of religious freedom. So, if you'll pardon an old man's pride, for me, this is the beginning of the American adventure. So 
welcoming the early settlers, this land severely challenged them. It was a struggle for survival that gained but a tiny toehold in a vast, untamed wilderness. In the decades that followed, a new challenge began to emerge. We were growing more and more apart from the mother country. Passion began to govern, and she never governs wisely. Oh, the British think it's fools we be. As if they tax our trade, then our land be next, and soon all else we possess. Hear me now. You ask defense against the French and the Indians. Should you not help a foreign Parliament's colonial policy is both arbitrary and unjust. That's nonsense. The same tea that cost you three shillings a pound costs us six. First, we spoke out with our voices. Then, we spoke out with action, with a growing defiance that led to the Boston Tea Party. Hear ye! Hear ye! By royal proclamation, His Majesty King But surely we can work something out. Our king feels we've wronged him. Your king, you Tory! Either we cut the ties with England, or we surrender our liberty! Finally, the time had come to speak with one voice in a declaration of independence. Ah, good evening, Mr. Jefferson. Have you finished the new draft yet? Those are new drafts all over the floor, Dr. Franklin. It seems one stroke of this pen brings two changes from Congress. I told you John Adams should have written this. Oh, by his own admission, you can write circles around him. Mr. Adams has not been prisoner in this loft for 17 days. I shall continue tomorrow. You must continue now. Thomas, it is difficult to make 13 clocks chime at the same time. But we must carefully justify this separation. Dr. Franklin, while you slept soundly through the meeting this afternoon, we did manage to justify separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, another night up here. <laughs> At least you got shoes, mate. There's not a dozen left what can say that. Don't tell me, friend. Tell the good general there. Tell him that half his camp has got typhus, smallpox, or dysentery. And there be not a ration amongst us. Now we can forage for hickory nuts. Aye, while the English overindulge in our Philadelphia's fine food and drink. It's a strange war we shoulder, George Washington. Congress sleeps warmly in York. And the British, the British party in Philadelphia. And we freeze or starve to death here in Valley Forge. It's a Valley Forge, my boys, forever we must fail. We fight the cold with rice on our feet as the lobster bats prevail. But the time will come when they'll be on the run and their ships will homeward sail. In the end, we the people prevail and achieved perhaps our greatest dream. Thirteen very different colonies became the United States of America, and we were free to become an entire nation of dreamers and doers.
westward bound Dr. Franklin's and new frontiers to the age of Samuel Langhorne Clemens. Well, I like to think Mark Twain was part of all that. Fathers gave us a pretty good start, don't you know? We still had some things to learn the hard way. Seems a whole bunch of folks found out we the people didn't yet mean all the people. Folks like Frederick Douglass. Even amidst the cricket song here along Mark Twain's beloved Mississippi, I hear the noise of chains and the crack of the whip. Yet, there is hope. Hope born from the words of Harriet Beecher Stowe. Uncle Tom's cabin has given our nation a key, which can unlock the slave prison to millions. Anti-slavery is no longer a thing to be prevented. It has grown too abundant to be snuffed out. Troublemakers like Douglas got us into this mess. He only wanted freedom, oh. not war. Well, listen to my abolitionist brother. What? Pa, he's gonna make a real good Billy Yank. We got a good cause, Johnny Reb. Quiet, both of you. You're gonna ruin Ma's birthday. No, no. Ain't nothing gonna ruin today. We're all together. That's what counts. Now, you go ahead, Mr. Brady. All right, everybody. Old real still now. Two brothers on their way. Two brothers on their way. Two brothers on their way. One wore blue and one wore gray. One wore blue and one wore gray as they marched along their way. The fife and drum began to play all on a beautiful morning. One was gentle, one was kind One was gentle, one was kind One came home, one stayed behind A cannonball, don't they no mind A cannonball, don't they no mind If you're gentle or if you're kind it don't think of the folks behind All on a beautiful morning All on a beautiful morning At last, the terrible civil war ended. The time had come to rebuild our shattered nation. And the new wave of immigrants would help us do it. From around the world they came, these new Americans. A thousand noble currents of Penn Melville all pouring into one. Seems there was a new dawn coming for the American adventure. Enough! Enough of your words. Let your new dawn lead to the final sunset on my people's suffering. When I think of our condition. see men of my own race treated as outlaws or shot down like animals. I hope that all of us may be brothers with one country around us and one government for all. From where 
the sun now stands, I will fight no more. Forever. The wisdom of the great Chief Joseph reminded us once again of our long, painful journey through the frontiers of human liberty. Shouldn't we, Mr. Twain? As Tom Edison says, discontent is the first necessity of progress. Edison, afraid uh, I don't place the name. Edison's that young phonograph inventor. Why, this great hall is filled with new inventions. There's Otis Elevator, tallest magnificent steam engines. And don't forget me telephone. The true hallmark of progress. Aha! Behold the proud Scots. That's right. Carnegie Steel built this place. Aye, and it'll soon build a new concert hall for New York. Oh, Carnegie Hall, eh? It'll never last. Donating libraries. Andy, that's a grand idea. She's an age for grand ideas. An era for innovation. A dawn for new awareness. A time to challenge the frontiers of a new century. and the winds of change. But our America, the beautiful, she was changing too. We needed people like Teddy Roosevelt and an outspoken naturalist, John Muir, to get our attention. Beautiful. Bully beautiful. Those falls are magnificent. Aye, Mr. President. But it won't last if the timber thieves have their way. John, you may be right, but the country's growth is putting a tremendous demand on our resources. Any fool can destroy trees. Why, for more than 3,000 years, God has cared for our giant sequoias, saved them from drought, disease, avalanches, and floods. But he cannot save them from fools. Now, John, you know I can't ask lumbering to stop completely. All I ask is that we stop massive destruction. What will our children inherit? Seedlings? Of course not. I realize we're not building this country for a generation alone. I know we've got to expand our parks. Then start it here and now. Make this valley a part of Yosemite National Park. Well, I guess we needed those national parks. Seems the simple life of my day was slipping away. Ready or not, we were soon thrust into the hectic role of a world leader and into the war to end all wars.
and 33 grueling non-stop hours after his departure from New York, Captain Charles Augustus Lindbergh successfully landed his Spirit of St. Louis in Paris last week. Lucky Lindy's solo flight across the Atlantic has certainly placed him among the greatest in a long line of American pioneers. Today, October 29th, 1929, Wall Street became America's greatest wall of rubble. This stock market crash has tarnished the golden dreams of millions. Once I built a tower to the sun, brick and rivet and lime. Once I built a tower, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Spare a dime? <laughs> sure. Buy four of my apples, and I'll loan you back to ten cents. <laughs> hey, Sam. <laughs> I heard tell there's New York millionaires are selling apples, too. <laughs> you, you means ex-millionaires, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it looks like the storm is finally letting up. Well, maybe the Sunday drivers have come out hunting for gas. Ain't many folks who pay no 18 cents a gallon. Hey, hey, listen, fellas. Old FDR's been inaugurated. Frankly and boldly, this great nation will endure, as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yeah, I sure hope he's right. Folks could use a little prosperity around these parts. <laughs> yes, sir. Before this depression, we sure had enjoyed special blessings. Hold it. But you I know, think that's Will Rogers. that the height of civilization was an automobile, a radio, and a bathtub. Of course, now we're a whole lot smarter. Now Congress wants to trim down the Navy so it'll fit into the bathtub, too. You know, it seems to me like we're the only nation in the world that waits till we get into a war before we start getting ready for it. Yesterday... December 7th, Think you'll ever get this old top back in the fight? We'll sure try, sailor. Hey, what did you fellas do? Let the whole Nazi fleet use you for target practice? Yeah, no wonder they got us working double shifts. Great way to celebrate the holidays with our guys over there. Cheer up, Jane. Maybe we'll all be together by next Christmas.
Mr. Twain, what do you think of our America now? I think the Founding Fathers never dreamed of an America like this. <laughs> of course not. We weren't dreamers. We were visionaries. That is why our Constitution withstands the rigors of time. Easy now, Dr. Franklin. This nation's still just a youngster, don't you know? Why, some countries have been around for 500 centuries. We're uh, barely into our third. That's true, but look what we've accomplished in that tiny span of time. My dear doctor, earlier you found John Steinbeck so inspiring. And he also sounded this warning. We now face the danger which in the past has been the most destructive to the human. Success, plenty, comfort, and ever-increasing leisure. No dynamic people has ever survived these dangers. I may have invented these bifocals I'm wearing, but I can assure you they are not rose-colored. Mr. Twain, the golden age never was the present age. But with human liberty, we can fulfill the promise and meaning of America. To everyone a chance, believed Thomas Wolfe. To all people, regardless of their birth, the right to live, to work, to be themselves, and to become whatever their visions can combine to make them. This is the promise of America. Mr. Twain, is easy to see, hard to foresee, but I foresee the American adventure to continue a long, long time.
And that's my look at the American Adventure. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, look at the host pavilion for Epcot, the American Adventure. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 